It's Just Business with Steve Thomas and your host, Chris Larry. Hello, and welcome to another episode of It's Just Business on the Hogstein Network. The show where we look at the dollars and cents of the sports media business industrial complex. Uh, how you doing today, Steve? I'm doing all right, man. Merry Christmas and happy, I think Hanukkah. I'm not Jewish. I think Hanukkah starts today, which is Sunday, the day we're recording it. So happy Hanukkah to everybody out there. No, but all is well down here. I was proud to say it was, you know, in the upper 70s here in South Texas yesterday. That made me happy, despite the fact that it was December. How are you doing? It was actually in the low 60s here, so it was actually a pretty balmy weekend for this time of year here as well. Yeah, well, um, I've always said if I could live in shorts every day, I would be happy. I'm not a person who wants four seasons. I really want one season. I don't need a fall. I don't need a spring. I just want summer every day. You know, call me boring, but that's, you know, that is what I want. If I have to wear long pants, it's not a good day. I have been that way in my life, although I find myself enjoying the seasons more as I get older, which is kind of the reverse of normal people. You kind of don't have a choice considering you live in New York. Yeah, I guess I guess I have to accept my lot. Maybe that's it. <laughs> I mean, you could move to, you know, move to Jacksonville or something. We're going to talk about Jacksonville later. That would cause you to have one season, but I don't think you want to do that. No, I think I'm OK with winter. Um, <laughs> oh, so concert update. Do you know Brett Eldridge? Eldridge? Country? I'm, like kind of I'm familiar that he exists, but I do not really know his music. So he is on my he is on the roster of my wife's management company that she does publicity for. Um, and he's kind of carved out this career. It's really probably what he's known for as much as anything as being like a Dean Martin, Frank Sinatra style Christmas crooner, you know, Bing really? Cross. And he put out an album, he's working on another one, couple originals, mostly classics, and then he tours it. And then that's obviously every holiday. So we went to last, and you were just at the Beacon Theater, right? Wasn't that where you saw Kenny Loggins? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it was at the Beacon Theater, which is always just a pleasurable experience in and of itself. So, uh, and, you know, did, you know, 90 minutes of, you know, big band, and he had the, the full big band and, you know, the bar cart on the stage and the stories, and it was like, you know, it was like being transformed back to, like, you know, 1952 or something. Did you get to go meet him and all of that since your wife... She had to go do that, but she's his family was there. She's like, "Oh, you're not gonna." So, so me, my brother, and sister in law and daughter were shivering on the outside the venue. (laughs) (laughs) Wasn't professional for her to shuffle you in there, I guess, which I understand. (laughs) I've got closed. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I've got a a concert coming up next weekend. Actually, this is a good one. This is this is like '80s heaven. You ready? It's it's Warrant Winger. Lita Ford and Steelheart. I mean, you cannot go wrong with this. That's pretty funny. That's pretty funny. I do love Lita Ford. Well, I I have actually, I worked backstage. I I was stage crew for a Warrant concert a long time ago, so I've seen them before Janie Lane died. Janie Lane was the former lead singer, died of a drug overdose. Um, So I've seen them, but but, uh, Winger, which is, you know, uh, for those of you who aren't familiar, this is of Beavis and Butthead fame. They were the butt of every joke in Beavis and Butthead. Uh, and then Lita Ford, of course, from the Runaways. But the guy, if you never, you're not familiar with Steelheart, this guy, whose name is some long, like northern, like nor, he's from like Norway or Sweden or somewhere. Long name I can't pronounce, Mike. Uh, but anyway, he has got the best voice of anybody you'll ever hear. I mean, it's just an unbelievable what this guy can do vocally. And so I'm excited to see if he can still do it after all these years because he's like a late 80s, early 90s guy himself. So can he still do that? But if you really want to see unbelievable vocals, look up Steelheart. Scandinavia is a low-key hotbed of, of rock and roll over the last 40 years, 50 years. Well, yeah, and like like Scandinavian death metal and stuff, yeah. which is not my speed particularly. But I mean, that's that one of the all, things they're known for, for sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but this guy is like he's truly he can get up into like the soprano range as a man, as a man, which is just uh, it's a gift from pick your deity of choice. You know what that guy can do. Well, there you go. So a couple tips there for you. Um, all right. Now the well, question is: Now will he embarrass himself? Though that's what I want to see. But sorry, go ahead. Uh, you know, those things, you know, it's not like opera singers like fall off at 40 or whatever. So if he can hit those, if he's got the technical skill, he can probably still do it. 
Well, that's the that's the thing, you know, because these guys aren't exactly like most of these rock and roll guys aren't exactly following like, uh, you know, Juilliard vocal, you know, vocal recommendations here. They're just like screaming at the top of their lungs for the most part. Yeah, right. They're not necessarily taking care of their instrument. Look at um, Paul Stanley, for Christ's sake. That guy can barely talk, much less sing anymore. Oh, man, I do. I, I heard, though, that I should have gone. I heard the Madison Square Garden shows were great. I talked to a few people. Really? Yeah. Of course, you know, I heard, the I heard vocals are on track. The, the vocals are off track, though. I mean, you know that. I, I, mean, who really knows? I mean, you, I mean you're, you're going for the, it, you know, you're going for Circus Olay. You're not going for a necessarily legitimate concert. <laughs> I've seen Kiss a couple times. They're, they are good. I've seen, uh, I saw them in the 80s. Like late, maybe '88 something, when they were with no makeup, and then I saw them on their last retirement tour, which is more yeah. than 20 years ago, <laughs> which was makeup and everything. Good show. Yeah, the, the Lick It Up tour, right? Was the no makeup tour? Was that what no? It was? There were several. There was Lick It Up. There was Animalize, Asylum, Crazy Nights, Hot in the Shade. I saw them on the Crazy Nights tour. That was my very first concert ever. Was Kiss nice. Crazy Nights. Uh. Pretty good for two boys from Queens. Actually, four boys originally, but only two that are really benefiting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't think Ace Frehley and Peter Chris are on their Christmas card list anymore. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Steve. So uh, enough of our, uh, you know, rocking chair memories here. Uh, but we're, we're kind of speaking and recording this while this news is hitting and will still be fresh by the time you listen to this on uh, Tuesday at the earliest. And that is... This contract by Otani to sign with your Los Angeles Dodgers is crazy town. Uh, that's that's the, the, the main thing you need to know. But there are some pretty interesting ramifications deep in this contract. But I'm I'm still in the stunned phase. Yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, the, the, the Dodgers have gone off the deep end, honestly, with this. Um that, that, that we don't have the specific details yet. Uh, you know, this is where Sunday morning Spotrack doesn't have the, the specifics, but we've got enough of it to know that, as Chris said, this is crazy town. So, I mean, the story I'm looking at, but it's all over, but was ESPN Shohei Otani joining Dodgers on 10 year, $750 million contract by Alden Gonzalez, <laughs> dated December 9th. And yeah, that's not, I didn't misspeak. It's not a typo. They really did sign this guy to a 10-year, $700 million contract. And for the math deficient, that comes out to $70 million a year. Now, baseball does not have a true hard cap salary cap. They have kind of a soft cap. And so what it means, what that means is if the team hits a certain level, a low level, then they have to pay a little tax. And there's an upper level, and then they have to pay a whole lot of tax. And so if they have somebody signed to $700 million contract that comes out to $70 million a year, that almost virtually guarantees, especially for the Dodgers, that you're going to hit the high tax uh, tax bracket every single year. So here's the – this is where it really turns crazy, okay? And this is what the ESPN column talks about. Um, the Dodgers are paying – Apparently, most of this money, according to the column, it says most of the money to Otani and deferral in deferrals. Okay, what is that, you ask? Well, think Bobby Bonilla back in what the eighties. Remember Bobby Bonilla? Chris? Yeah, of course. This Bobby is what Bonilla they're doing day every year. Bob, Bobby, yeah, Bobby Bonilla. You hear this Bobby Bonilla day has become a joke, but what he did is he signed a contract back in the eighties, I think, that paid him some like a million dollars. Some don't quote me on the number, but something like a million dollars a year, a couple million dollars a year every year forever for like three decades, and and so every it's Bobby Bonilla, and now Bobby Bonilla has been retired for thirty years now. This is what the Dodgers just signed up for with Shohei Otani, okay, and. Long after he's going to be gone, decades after he's going to be gone, they're going to be paying Shohei Otani. Um, this is th this, by the way, is the largest contract in sports history by a lot. Um, the next one was um, um, there's two of them really. The gross dollars was Mike Trout. I'm sorry, was uh, Patrick Mahomes 450 million. Mike Trout got 12 years, 426 million. Um, those are the closest. The the top average annual salary was Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer, $43.3 million. This guy is way, way, way over that. Now, mind you, he's had arm problems. 
for those of you who don't know, Otani is really the first true two-way player since Babe Ruth. He's an outstanding, you know, all-star level pitcher, and he's an all-star level hitter. I get it, but he's had serious health problems. On top of this, he's right he's, now he's not projected to pitch till twenty twenty-five. That's exactly right. He said he's getting some, some what they're calling a hybrid version of Tommy John surgery. Not quite sure what that means, but Tommy John surgery is what ruins pitchers. Uh, you know, it's what it's it's ruined many many careers, and so the Dodgers. Haven't just the Dodgers have like bet the family home and the family car and and the three year old son that Shohei Otani is going to win them World Series. I'm just yeah, I'm a Dodger fan. I was kind of mad at him last year, but I'm a Dodger fan. I'm it, my mind is boggled at this ridiculous contract. Your thoughts? There's so many different numbers out there that just to give the, you know, kind of give context and comparison to. So sometimes you hear these things in isolation and we're kind of attuned to these numbers just getting crazy. So sometimes they get so crazy you don't, they don't even compute. So that's why you need to contextualize them. Steve, you gave some off there. But the one that kind of, this is like I think a Sports Center meme. LeBron James, who's now played 20 years, <laughs> congratulations on the <laughs> midseason tournament championship. Uh, has played 20 years, I believe, since he was 18, yada, yada. In his career, he's made $482 million. 20-year <laughs> career, 18 to 38, composite salary, three teams, $482 million. Mind you, Otani's already played, what, four to five seasons already? So it's already – so this is just for the next 10 years, you know. I, I, who knows what that means with what Steve was saying about how the payouts work. 700 million that's that's a third more than lebron james has made his entire career which arguably in a more popular sport it's crazy yeah lebron james being i immensely dislike lebron james but by anyone's estimation he's one of the top handful of basketball players in the nba um i do have some more on this jeff passan uh, sent a tweet out on December 9th. Um, that's long, but the, he does give some numbers here. Um, he says apparently their competitive balance tax number, so that's the what baseball is calling the luxury tax. So in other words, the salary cap number, if you want to think about it like that, is going to be in the 40 to $50 million range. And so I think then that means then that they're going to be giving him somewhere between 20 and $30 million is is the amount of the of the deferred so um per 10 years so that is 200 to 300 million deferred you know call it over the next what 20 or 30 years or something however long it is um it's it's i'm just there's very few things that has me speechless but i just can't believe a team would do something like this I, i really can't i mean Especially with the guy not even healthy, uh, you know. If you think about it, like this is more than if you go back to like the dark days of the NBA in the seventies. I would v- take a stab at saying that was probably more than the revenue of the entire league. <laughs> oh you know? yeah, I think by a lot. You know, they used to they used to have their drafts and you know Marriott conference rooms with no cameras. The a football team like Dan Snyder paid something like seven hundred million, three hundred something million, I think it was, to buy the Redskins in nine in the mid nineties. <laughs> you know, um, the Dodgers themselves sold for two point two billion, what a decade ago or so now. So that his contract is a third of roughly, and that also included the land. And so the team was something a lot less. It was something like $1.5 billion. So his contract is like a third of the value of the Dodgers and Dodger Stadium back 10 years ago. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have signed a contract like I wouldn't have done a contract like this if I had been the Dodgers' ownership. There's no way I would obligate myself and bet this much on any player, especially a player that has Tommy John surgery. Crazy. And 
the injury concerns really befuddle me, uh, you know, and it's not even just the Tommy John surgery. He'd had some, you know, arm issues even previous to that. So it's not like a, oh, well, you know, the, you know, the thing with the shoulders, the first time he's rather been, no, you know, so that part, I mean, if he designed like a, you know, like a Juan Soto level contract, right? You would have probably, you know, which is what in the four hundred million range or something like that. Well, you would Mike have, Trout, you, you know. Yeah, you um, would have raised your eyebrow at the injury concerns. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> so go ahead and throw three hundred more million on top of that. Yeah, you're concerned about. I I find that crazy. I other thing that was a little embedded nugget in the ESPN ESPN article was the fact that apparently a lot of this deferred payment structure came from Otani's camp. Well, sure. I mean, fund my retirement, please. <laughs> you know, four generations of Otani. Yeah, exactly. I mean, of course it. Of course he's willing to do it. Now, here's the alternate. If you want the other side of it, I will give you the other side. If you're a Dodger fan, if you're like me, a Dodger fan, all this deferred money doesn't matter to the fans. Okay. And if it doesn't what even they, affect the cap that much, it, no, no. Like I said, what what Jeff Passan and I and I got Jeff Passan's tweet from uh, Dodgers the, the Dodgers Digest column, by the way. If you want that, a Dodgers Digest is a fan site, kind of like the Hogstie, and they put it out something that says Dodgers signed Shohei Otani to record breaking ten year seven hundred million dollar deal, and I am ascending by Chad Moriyama, and they have embedded in here the Jeff Passan tweet. Um, so, uh, um. That $300 million is on the ownership to figure out. It has nothing to do with the salary cap. It doesn't have anything, anything to do with the fans. To the extent that the ownership thinks they, they can, continue, can, can continue to fund a full normal salary cap and still pay off Shohei Otani 10 years from now. You know, that's the key. As long as they can do that, the fans ought to not care about it. I, it's just like from an ownership perspective, my God, you know, that's what I'm kind of where my perspective is. The other, you know, because we're sort of making the, the you know, devil's advocate argument here um, is and this is something we aren't going to necessarily have a good look into right now at all. But I would surmise that they must see so much value in international marketing and international revenue in Japan, in Asia, you know, the global, you know, baseball is, is, and is even becoming more global all the time. So if they can flip him into a global superstar, that might be a little bit more marketable than the Mike Trouts of the world. Uh, and from a global perspective, they must have some kind of calculations on recouping a bunch of that revenue that way as well. They must see dollar signs and expansion and what they can do on that front. Yeah, well, and Mike Trout's kind of a very milk toast kind of personality, so he's not really easily marketable himself. But but the Dodgers franchise has a history of signing um, Asian players, Chinese and Japanese both. They had Hinjun Ryu was the last one. Um, they had um, what, what was you Darvish? They had the guy, but the the ace before Clayton Kershaw, whose name's escaping me. Uh, was was Japanese. They have a history of this. Obviously, they're on the West Coast, uh, you, you know, so I think it's a bit easier to market. But very clearly, they're obviously looking to be the number one team in Japan. You know, uh, they have to be. Like you said, that has to be a marketing. You're 100% right about that. It has to be that. You know, they've got to figure they can make up the loss and this loss in uh, revenue from increased marketing overseas yeah it has to be yeah and even so those communities in america i mean yeah i just think they they must you know that somebody prepared the uh you know the prospectus on what revenue can be gained over you know the next 10 years here as well yeah because i don't think it's really a u.s marketing thing particularly because he's joey otani barely speaks english uh, yeah, know, but I know, but there's there's still a lot of revenue with those. A lot of people in America don't speak English. I, I know, but but this is not a guy you can um, trot all around and put him in interviews and have him in commercials selling Dodgers gear and stuff. You can to a certain extent, but I think because he literally does not speak any English, I don't think it's. I think the what I'm saying is I think the greater marketing opportunities overseas. That's what I'm saying. Oh, I agree. I agree. I just think, I just think. You got, and they also they bubble that interest here, and then ship those that buzz out as well. It's the whole, it's all the whole package. I think is why they, 
it must be it has to be i would hope to give them credit for that they've got you know pretty good projections on what they're going to be able to do with that yeah and also i mean the dodgers ownership is you know he owns a firm called guggenheim okay an equity investment fund called guggenheim so they are one of the wealthiest teams in baseball you know they're one of the most financially smart what's interesting about it is the dodgers have not really signed too many players to gigantic contracts considering they're a big time wealthy team you know even clayton kershaw who's their best player still is he signed a series of one year contracts like mookie betts signed a big deal um but they haven't been over the top they get thrown into the mix for all of it, but this is the first one that's really been truly like an outrageously large contract. So that's interesting. Uh, so the question I get is we can finish up with this. Now that Otani has a giant contract, how does baseball view him um, in terms of his ability to grow the game internationally? Is this just the Dodgers thinking this or is baseball itself trying to use him to grow. The oh, game. of course. Yeah, they're in cahoots. I mean, it's even though that it's the most, you know, kind of separation between central office and and Lee and a team office sport we've got in American major sports. They this yes. Uh I and I think it will help baseball immensely. Yeah, I do too. And I guess I I lied. One more thing. Does this mean that major league baseball really needs a salary cap? I have thoughts, but I want to you know, give you yours first. I, I mean, is this, a, this is a ridiculous contract. <sighs> yeah, I'm me. not sure. I'm not sure about this. This is also because if you look at, you know, and there's been some stuff out lately, you know, some of baseball's fundamentals is, you know, as a league, as a sport, as a business venture in America, especially, it's a mixed bag. And I think we've just so what did we just see over the last week? We saw Soto to the Yankees and Otani to the Dodgers. So you just calcify the things that are long term harmful for the sport just kind of re- keep recalcifying themselves itself. So maybe it, it it is odd, and it's such a haves and have not. I think also in, in another little factoid was that i think next year his and you know there's i'm not going to get it exactly right and you might have the article right in front of you steve but that where he's going to earn more than the entire uh uh payroll of the oakland athletics and baltimore orioles one of which was a playoff team last year so you know the difference between the haves and have nots if you take the soto contract and the otani contract not that they're even in the same universe but they're still huge and they're still to the yankees and the dodgers so where is the viability of this sport you know and i think we saw with that whatever that world world cup or whatever a baseball that actually you know even in america created buzz and had an audience and american players wanted to play and then I think they might see nothing but diminishing returns in America or at least stasis and know that, you know, they've got to be in these markets. And there are markets out there, many of them for various baseball. Um, yeah, I mean, what this does is it breeds to have or have nots, right? Uh, having this salary cap structure. Now, I would argue that it's if the Yankees and the Dodgers and the Cubs are good it's good for baseball as a whole and in what the nfl has done with their hard salary cap is is done competitive balance so to the extreme that i think a little bit of the history is lost Uh, you know and really why fans want salary caps also is just they think athletes get paid too much and you know it's not fair and so kind of limit what their income is i think that's dumb if the market establishes it so be it i'm a free market absolutist if the free market wants it so be it so i have no problem with it um i and i to a large extent i think paying these salary caps is the owner's problem not the fans problems but, you know so i'm okay with it and i'm okay with not having a salary cap and i'm I, and again i like the fact when the, the when the yankees the red sox the cubs the dodgers are good it's good for baseball it's good for the game um but certainly like the Oakland A's, for example, or the Pittsburgh Pirates, the Miami Marlins, uh, you know, these teams um, were never in the running for Shohei Otani because they would never have done it. And yes, I, I couldn't find it, Chris, in this column. 
just looking through it, but it's certainly seventy million is over the payroll of a couple teams. You know, but it's definitely I don't think, the Orioles. Yeah, yeah, and again, I think the Pirates and probably the Marlins. Um, so no, I don't think they need a salary cap necessarily. Um, uh, you know, because it's it's the other side of it is let's keep these good teams good. So I think that's good. It's almost like baseball has a de facto regulation system like uh, soccer in, in the UK. <laughs> it's like it's obviously not how it works, but it's sort of how it works by default, you know, with these haves and have nots and these payrolls and the, and the way some teams can compete at one level and and a third of the league just isn't competing at that level. Well, nobody's getting relegated, you know, in baseball. No, but that's so. what I'm saying. It's de facto. But but the, 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 the finances basically regulate them. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, in, in effect, when you are teams like the Pirates, you are never going to compete. You're basically playing at a different level. I think that's yeah, sort of what you're, you're, you're saying in, the, in you're effect. You're in the, 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 the sub-league, uh, and you get, to, you get to play against the big boys and, and give them cheap wins. Yeah. Um, anyway so it's a good uh, it's a good day to be a member of the otani family yes uh <laughs> even the ones that, that have not yet been conceived so um <laughs> so uh, we're gonna we're gonna stay in the realm of mind-boggling um but then <laughs> totally different and that is news has broke this week that a employee in the, in the finance side of the house of the Jacksonville Jaguars, nothing to do with football, you know, separation of church and state there, uh, basically a financial and an, uh, analyst uh, has been skimming money since 2019. And I guess between 2019 and 2022 has skimmed over $22 million um, and has lived quite a lavish lifestyle. And what I think is going to be the longer legs of the story sounds like a pretty massive gambling problem. How does this happen? I, I mean, Mike, okay. Um, th- 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 this was in multiple places. Um, NBC News had this ex-employee charged of stealing $22 million from Jacksonville Jaguars for luxury shopping spree by Marley J. dated the 7th of... Um, December, and then there's an athletic article I'm trying to get to pull up here. For this, it's very, very slow. Okay, um, Katie Strang and Kaylin Kaher, former Jaguars employee, accused of stealing more than 22 million from the team. So yeah, so this guy apparently was the sole approval authority over a virtual credit card. Now, personally, I had not heard the term virtual credit card before, but clearly, what this means is, is there's not a physical card. It's you know, there's, you know, a, probably a number and like an account number. And if you have the account number and the password and the correct verifying information, you can use it. So this is an easier I have one. way. Through work. I have one through work. Okay. So I'm assuming yeah. that. So That's you exactly and, how it works. Yeah. Right. And so it's easier to use in a corporate setting because, you know, you don't have to get a bunch of physical cards issued or pass it around or something. So, so this guy apparently was the sole approval authority of this. And listen to some of the stuff this guy bought. Let me go back to the ESPN column. It had a better sort. Had a better part of it here. Oh, and it. God dang it! Just one moment. It closed. My phone closed it on it. Okay. Um. So, yeah, it, twenty-two million is the right number. And this guy bought. Okay, bought a condo on this credit card in Ponta Verde Beach, two hundred sixty-five thousand dollars. Some fancy watch I've never heard of, Paytech Philippe Nautilus watch, $95,000. A Tesla, did you, I didn't know you could buy a car on a credit card. Uh, yeah, a yeah, Nissan, I was like, I didn't know you could buy half the stuff on a credit card. No, I mean neither. I mean, I guess if you went to him and said, listen, I'll pay the, uh, I'll pay the uh, fee, the 3% fee or whatever it is, you know, I guess they would do it. But um, cryptocurrencies, NFTs, online gambling, highlight that one. Sports memorabilia, concert and sporting events, private jet travel, luxury hotel bookings, private residence rentals, a country club membership, spa trips, and a retainer fee for a criminal defense law firm, ironically. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, <laughs> hey, hey, give him credit. He was forward thinking on that one. <laughs> he was. Like, if I'm going to be doing this, we got to get it. I got to get an attorney on the hook right now. Um, is there not a CFO for the Jacksonville Jaguars? 
I mean, okay, so this guy has approval authority over use of the car, but isn't somebody looking at the numbers and going, there are millions of dollars not accounted for? I understand that this, the, the, the nonprofit I work for is a different scale than the Jacksonville Jaguars. But I do have one of these virtual credit cards. Um, I actually have a physical one and a virtual one. It's kind of like a package deal, but who cares? And that thing has gone over like a fine-tooth comb. You know, like, and every single thing it does. I mean, I can forward receipts with, you know, like it, it, everything's got a digital breadcrumb with, with this process. So, like, and I guess he was, it almost, I almost think when we get more details, and there'll be more details, this is still actually pretty top level of what was actually going on here. Once, you know, discovery and blah, 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 we're going to get some pretty funky details. It almost sounds like he was completely manufacturing receipts, like, like you know, deep Photoshop stuff. Because, you know, because you... This is these are hard things to fraud. I mean, but they're you know you, people talk about AI and stuff. I mean, there's all kinds of machine learning that track that that that, that back end manage how every little itemized thing of is tracked. So how he pulled this off is going to be fascinating because it, it's not it's not the old days where you could like just switch out a paper ledger or whatever. You know, these things are. You know, I mean, you, you people are paid millions of dollars to figure out how to write software that's going to protect the, you know, protect the money here. Yeah, I mean, this is like Ozark level, you know, money laundering. I think if you remember the show Ozark, twenty-two million dollars. And yeah, I don't know how you buy a condo and then hide the. I don't know how you hide any of the receipts, like you said. You know, ultimately, but see, here's the thing: somebody above him has to notice. So this went on for four years. And so if, could you launder five point something million dollars, five point four million dollars through the Jacksonville Jaguars each year without anybody noticing? So how would you do that? You would take like you bought a condo for two hundred sixty five thousand dollars. So you'd have to fake a whole bunch of it. You couldn't just have like a two hundred and sixty five thousand dollar receipt that you called someone else. Presumably he's putting money on other things to kind of split it up. I would assume that's what money laundering is. So I would assume that because, again, I, you know, I, there's no explanation for condo. There's no explanation for buying a car, you know, all these you know, country club memberships. So he's can't he couldn't have been just turning these receipts in. He had to have been hiding it. To me, that means like epic level money laundering. And I would point out that he did get caught. He did not get away with it. <laughs> you know, took a while, but we don't know when this investigation started. You know, the investigation didn't start yesterday. The FBI has been looking at this for a while, uh, you know, so, but he got away with it for a couple of years. But I'm assuming this is money laundering because he just can't, he, he's not turning these receipts in, just hoping nobody noticed. <laughs> so let's turn our attention a little bit towards now how much, gambling had to do with this right because you know did he have a pro you know because the the rumors are that gambling was pretty heavily driving this however however it also has clearly become his def you know this defense retainer that he had been paying for their their key argument and they're they're claiming that 99 percent of the money was spent towards gambling which i find hard to believe but and they've already got him in rehab you know he's he's not he's pleading full guilt right like he's not putting any resistance onto this he's accepting his fate but i think he's taking some kind of like i was sick you know probably will start to cast aspersions at official sports gambling and you know i so and and the insidiousness of that but you can already see the defenses the defense's case coming together and, and see this is i told you right before we started recording this was some of the stuff i was you know the sort of the local flavor that like the jacksonville news was starting to say you know like getting close to the defense lawyer and stuff and already getting those little narratives out there those little like you know chumming the water with these stories and making sure everybody knows he's already in rehab and et cetera et cetera yeah, well, this is called the Hunter Biden defense. Without getting political, <laughs> this is what Hunter Biden's defense. Hunter Biden's defense. He, he, I, I, I'm not a scumbag, uh, you know, guy who's stealing money from foreign governments and you know cheating on my wife. I was a drug addict, and so forgive me. I mean, that's kind of what you're. It's sort of the same general, same general, um, general defense that this guy's making. What did we say his name? By the way, his name is in here. Um, let me see here. Uh, 
Amit Patel, that's the guy's name. So, but if you add up, like the list of things I read off that he bought, a condo, $265,000, some fancy watch, ninety five. so now we're up to 355000 Tesla Model 3, I don't know what a Model 3 is, but call that 50, 60 grand. So now you're up to like- Easily. Four, yeah, right. So you're up to like 400 something thousand dollars. A Nissan pickup truck, call that another 40 or 50 maybe. So, you know, uh, so that is only like, Four hundred, five hundred thousand dollars for that stuff. Um, Log private jet travel, luxury hotel bookings, private residence rentals, country club membership. All of that does not add up to twenty-two million dollars. Even if you threw in a condo at a, a million and five. Yeah, and the condo apparently was cheap. Like I said, two hundred sixty cheap, relatively speaking. Um, now he could spend a lot on sports memorabilia, but it doesn't say he went out and bought like a Mickey Mantle rookie card. It doesn't say what it is. Um, so yeah, I, it seems to me, even the country club, even if you bought a membership at, even if you bought the country club, <laughs> well, uh, you could buy, you know, if you bought Augusta, it would be, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, but, um, a country club membership is going to be like a hundred grand a, a month or something for a fancy one, you know, call it that. Um, so he's not spent $22 million in like, what was the movie with um, Richard Pryor? We had to spend a million, you know, a couple million Brewster's dollars. Millions. There you go. This is not Brewster's millions in that it's, uh, gambling has to be a part of it. And the, this, the entitled, the air of entitlement or, or arrogance to think he's going to actually get away with all this. Maybe he knew he was going to get caught and just thought, you know, I'm going to live it up. He couldn't possibly, being a finance professional, he could not possibly think he was going to get away with this forever. So maybe he just thought, you know, I'm going out in a blaze of glory, uh, you know, and including my defense attorney, you know, rate retainer fee. Uh, and by the way, the Jaguars were not identified in apparently in the, in the uh, criminal charge. Um, they volunteered themselves. I said, yeah, this was us. Um, and it says they're cooperating with the FBI, law firms, and uh, law firms and accounting firms have concluded that no other employees are involved in the scheme. So this is this guy doing this all himself. But yeah, he had to have a gambling problem. Yeah, then you can see where that's going to be. That's going to be the defense. Uh, yeah, that is not a defense. I would like to say that is not a defense. Okay, I'm sorry, you're. A gambling addict and i'm sorry that like hunter biden's a crackhead a drug addict but your personal foibles do not excuse criminal conduct okay? no i'm not saying it'll work no i'm not say saying you i'm not saying you okay i'm saying that that is not a position society should take hunter biden should have to live up to his and he sounds like he's going to this guy is going to have to face up to his crimes too and the fact that he may be addicted to gambling should be not a defense at all i yeah i don't disagree i think it will be interesting because even this the proximity to the nfl here and you can tell me all day that he wasn't on the football side i think at some point that becomes irrelevant he steals 22 million dollars from a franchise to at least partially fund his gab gambling problem he and he's that connected team? to the league was he betting on teams that the jaguars right. played Exactly. So um, I think even beyond anything about the individuals related to the story, this does this is going to be a drip drip threat to the NFL if it starts to if they can't kind of squash this or get this out of the public. If this starts to if the the facts as they dribble out become more and more kind of nutty and get closer and closer to gambling on the NFL or on the Jaguars or what or any kind of influence peddling or information espionage or this that and the other thing um you know these are the these are the kinds of risks that you know they've opened themselves up to well yeah particularly in light of the fact that the NFL has now made such a presence in Las Vegas uh, you know it, this is you know and and they're in bed now metaphorically speaking with um, DraftKings and you know casinos and all you know because of Vegas. Um, so they right now it is more important for than ever for them to distance themselves from gambling, as evidenced by the amount of people who have been in trouble, players who've been in trouble with the NFL recently for gambling. If you notice, there's been several yeah. of them, and this is they're doing nothing close to what this guy is doing, obviously. 
Um, so I do think it's an issue of NFL concern. I'm glad you brought that up because um, the NFL ought to be concerned in every little thing. It's I think you use the term drip drip. It's like a drip drip of stuff that bring that brings the credibility of the league into question. Yeah, Even if this I mean, guy's just a finance business guy, it doesn't matter. Yeah, that d- doesn't matter at all. Um, so one real small thing before we move on to our third and final story is I did kind of going back to like how did he pull this off part, you know, the kind of like TV movie part, which this will sure be a docudrama at some point, some point on Netflix, is that um, $22 million was, was stolen from an NFL franchise over what looks like about the course of about three years. And it really it took it took three years for anyone to notice and just what a drop in the bucket, you know, even a composite 22 million is over a couple years in the in the the balance sheets of an NFL franchise, even one like the Jacksonville Jaguars. Well, that's what I said earlier. It's so if he spent 22 million over three, three and a half years, say so now you're up to, you know, he's got to hide like four or five million a year, you know, something like that. probably more closer to five million a year. And if he was smart enough, kind of split up, you know, you're going to create fake receipts. It's called money laundering. You know, he's going to add money to existing receipts, existing payments, um, and do it in a way that doesn't catch attention. So he's got, that means you got to do add money to a whole lot of different expenses. Cause you can't just dump a million bucks on something. And this kind of does backstop the gambling thesis um, in that if you were just smart about it and wanted to fund a lifestyle or just cheat, you wouldn't go that big, right? Because if you just – let's say you do a million a year, two million a year, who knows how long you could go, you know, with these – you know. So I think it is probably, you know, the gambling and the, the more, more, more part. If this was just some like – nerd accountant who knew how to do this and then even take his buddies to you know lavish vacations or whatever do all that stuff but like if you just like were able to be chill about it and not go hog wild you you could get get away with this for a decade Uh, certainly a long period of time you know and and this guy was an accountant a nerd accountant (laughs) you know he did obviously know how to do this uh you know it would take a specific type of person within the organization to be able to pull this off, you'd have to understand how the fi- the books work. You have to be smart enough to know how money laundering works and you have to be smart enough to create receipts and fake receipts that are plausible, you know, and be able to, cause he's also probably modifying existing receipts. I would assume. Oh yeah. You know, that's, that's what money laundering is. Um, so yeah, I mean, if you're smart, you could do it for a while and not get caught, but 22 million is, so much if you even you know if you did half a million a year which would be enough to fund a fabulous lifestyle for 99.999 percent of the american public um you could do that and not get caught i if you were smart enough and then of course the irs might notice we don't know how this guy got caught the irs is pretty good at noticing that people who have a regular income all of a sudden have lavish lifestyles they do notice that kind of thing so this is the burden of being a criminal. It's you, you may be making all this money, but you have to hide the fact that you're making all this money. And the more Teslas and condos you buy, the more attention that attracts from uh, from uh, the IRS. And so at some point, it's going to come crashing down, most likely. As soon as I started digging into this story, the first thing I thought about was that famous uh, stretch of scenes in Goodfellas where they where De Niro leads the heist of the Lutanza, which is a real thing that actually happened. Uh, and he tells all the guys in on it beforehand, you you got to chill. You can't, you, you know, I don't want to see any lavish lifestyle. You got like, we got to lay low, put it under your mattress or whatever, but we can't, you know, there's going to be a ton of heat on this just because of how big the heist is. So, and then, of course, you know, okay, sure, sure, boss, sure, boss. And then, you know, that then have those scenes where like they sh- one guy shows up at the Christmas party with his wife with a brand new fur coat. And De Niro's, you know, De Niro's like, oh, what's that coat? You know, and then a couple of, a couple of the other ones, and they end up killing them um, because they knew that they were just too loose lipped. But that's exactly, you know, so <laughs> that was De Niro's main speech. He's like, if we pull this off and then when they did pull it off. We can't do anything that shows anything. And, you know, this is even outside the IRS, but he just knew that there would be so many eyes on probable, 
criminals here that they couldn't give any any clues and then sure enough here that here here's these you know here's these low-level mobsters that just can't resist and of course you know if you steal all the money and you can't use it then sort of what's the point of stealing the right money, you know perhaps <laughs> now i'm embarrassed to say i've never seen goodfellas oh what yeah i've never seen goodfellas it's worth the watch steve uh, yeah but but that's kind of the curse and so you know if somebody's going to do this, I think the play would be keep every penny hidden under a mattress somewhere and then move to like some like Pacific Rim Island or somewhere, you know, and live out your days on a beach. I mean, I think that would be the only way to realistically get away with it. Some country, some island does not have an extradition treaty with the United States. D.B. Cooper, it. look it up, kids. All right. Um, <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> Uh, all right, we're moving on to our third story, which is still dealing with some, you know, big numbers, not that level numbers, but uh, yeah, it looks like we are just full on offering top college players, at least at the University of Ohio. <laughs> what this article says is first round draft pick money to, f- you know, finish out their their collegiate career, or at least come back for one more run at beating Michigan. Uh, this is mostly around Trayvon Harrison, I believe, and right and Mar- and Marvin Harrison Jr. And Marvin Harrison Jr. is an interesting case here, which we'll get to in a second. But um, yeah, basically these these you know where the co ops, you know, these booster co ops are basically said, here's the cash on the barrel head if you want to stay and and bring the band back together next year. Yeah. So what I'm looking at is from a site called Gridiron Heroics. Um, Ohio State Buckeye stars reportedly Marvin Harrison Jr. and Trayvon Henderson offered first round money to stay in college. Features remain uncertain. It's kind of a strange headline, but um, by Andrew Kuslika, I guess, December 7th. Um, yeah. So this column, as Chris introduced, is said that the NIL machine behind Ohio, you said University of Ohio, it was Ohio State, um, has oh, right. appa- yeah, has apparently promised them first-round draft pick money to stay another year. Now, this column talks about um, last year's bonuses. Bryce Young, Carolina Panthers bust, Bryce Young had a $24.6 million signing bonus. He was the first overall pick. The four, the last overall pick in the first round was Joey Porter Jr., $4 million. So apparently what they're offering these guys is somewhere between 4 and $24 million, which is admittedly a giant discrepancy in there. Um, now, I think where you're going with the Marvin Harrison thing is that Marvin Harrison does not need the money. Doesn't need the money. Right. I mean, his father is obviously Marvin Harrison, who was an NFL star. He's gonna If he's not in the Hall of Fame, he's going to be in the Hall of Fame someday. I think he is. Yeah, maybe. Um, but he's already got millions and millions of dollars, assuming he hasn't squandered it and all that. So for Marvin Harrison, it's not really about – it may be about the money, but it's much less about the money. He does not. I don't know anything about the background of the other guy, uh, Trayvon Henderson, whether he's rich, poor, don't know. Um, but I don't know. I mean maybe this is just a case – and we should also say that Trayvon Henderson has already agreed to stay. Marvin Harrison has not said – to my knowledge, Marvin Harrison has not yet indicated. No, he has not announced. No, right. Um, so, one, I guess this may just go to show that even if you have money, you want more. <laughs> you know, but for Marvin Harrison, I think the bigger issue would be you're risking injury. You're, you're not going to prove your draft stock. If anything, you're going to put it at risk, and you're risking injury. You know, so if you want an NFL career like your father, the thing to do might be just forget Ohio State and and go. Um, but I think this is a larger discussion outside of that about what the NCAA has done to itself. If anybody says the NCAA is just not professional football anymore, you just don't know what you're talking about. It is professional football sponsored by universities, and that it turns me off. Well, it doesn't turn most people off because and uh, because college football ratings this year are insane. Absolutely. And- I'm a minority. The, yeah, yeah, I, I, I probably am is more that way as well. But the data suggests, um, and the college football playoffs, which is obviously expanding to, um, I think fourteen teams, but going from four, four to twelve, maybe. Um, state was robbed. Yeah, and so that media property is coming up for bidding. So, like the, the, the finance, the finances 
and the audience back up your thesis here that it really is just you know sponsored the sponsored by model but i do find kind of interesting and this is where this is where does this actually have like a weird rubber band positive effect for fans of these teams i don't is know that, does it <laughs> well if you get if you if you can fund marvin harrison jr is an interesting case right because he of course he's right now projected to be a top five draft pick you know, probably the, the highest non-quarterback excitement to come out into this year's draft if he comes. Um, so he he can't do better, right? Like, there's there's no win. No, he can only hurt himself. He can only hurt himself. However, since he doesn't need the money and he gets the money anyway, right? It's like it's a twofer. You know, for some of these guys, I mean, he he's come out and said, like, beating Michigan and winning a national title is important to him. You know, and so... For some of these guys, is the quest to be a champion and not lose out at least in the short term financially? Is that an, enough of attract, you know, of an attraction? I mean, can you keep some of these super teams together? Um, and then ultimately, that's better than the, for the fans than you know a bunch of these you know two and outs or whatever in college basketball. You know, one and dones. Um, I know it'll it'll be interesting, but you know, I mean. Especially with the TV audience, the fans—if if they roll the majority of their team forward next year, you know, especially as the playoffs expand—I think some of these players, especially ones that maybe have are being advised or have some sense that they're actually not going to translate to the pros, ultimately, they might opt to go for the ring in 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 in, in their college sport. Yeah, um, that's of course not Marvin Harrison. Now. I, no, but he has Marvin, the luxury to make that kind of emotional decision. Yeah, because he's already wealthy. Yeah. Um, but also, would it be the worst thing in the world for Marvin Harrison to drop a few spots? Uh, you know, think about this. I mean, if you're at the top of the list, you're going to get some train wreck team like Washington or some other team that's way up there like that. And like Washington's ruined many careers, you know, and as have the Lions and the Lions are good this year. But these teams are typically the dregs of the NFL, the Washingtons of the world, the Browns and all that. They've ruined many careers. Would it be the worst thing in the world for a guy like Marvin Harrison to drop a few spots, get into a better, more positive situation, which would therefore perhaps then lead him to a longer, more profitable career. Ultimately, you kind of bet on yourself a little bit by, or, or by dropping, I guess, dropping now to be better later, maybe. So there might be, I'm not saying he would want to do that. Like he would think through it that much. I'm saying that would be kind of an added side benefit to it. Cause he can only drop. That's what, like what you said, there's nowhere to go up at all is only down for, for Marvin Harrison. So that would it's kind of it, that's what um, Eli Manning did, right? Uh, you, you know that it, it, this may be like an Eli Manning thing, possibly. Um, so I, 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 this is a tirade, but I hate what has the in a, what NCA has become. To me, the beauty of NCA football was the fact that it was hypothetically an amateur sport. With college kids doing it. And yes, you know, some of them were getting money under the table and all that. But when it's just purely, strictly professional transactions, to me, it loses a lot of allure of it. And it becomes a real, far more of a have or have not thing than even if it was before. The teams that can afford to do this, like Ohio State can afford to pay him the boosters, can afford to pay him millions of dollars a year. But if he was at pick your other university, they couldn't. You know, so it just it just turns me off to the entire sport, to be honest. I really dislike what's become of the NCAA with the NIL. Well, it's obviously not going away anytime soon. And this story, you know, this is not surprising at all, this story. Oh, but no. I do think it's a new, you know, we keep moving the line, so to speak, about where this is going. It just does move the line because if this becomes an overt, if this becomes a team maintaining teams for you know, the three, four, five years in the context of the of the expanded playoffs, that's a whole new ball game for these booster clubs. Yeah, well, and there's Ohio State's not the only rich university. University no. of Texas is like the richest team in the country. You know, and then you've got Alabama, it's got tons and tons of money. There's there's a lot of the power five conferences. I wouldn't swear it. I know Texas has got the most. Beyond that, I would I'd only be guessing. Um, but a lot of these power five teams 
or universities have got tons and tons of money. So this is just the opening the door. This is kind of, this is the floodgate opening. And so I think what you're getting at here for Ohio State can do this. A lot of other teams can do that. And they can say, well, hell, we could buy off our quarterback, you know, make call to the boosters, set the NIL machine in motion. And you've got a dynamic emotional argument. We can win, right? Yeah. Like those, you, you actually have an emotional appeal to these players too, especially if you can put five million dollars in front of them. So you know, for five million, don't, for five million dollars, don't you want a chance to win the national championship next year? Yeah, I mean, sure. I mean, <laughs> right? I mean, I'm making this up, but like, you know, USC could go to Caleb Wilson. There's been allegations about this, Caleb, but you could go to Caleb Wilson, Caleb Williams, and and do that exactly. We'll pay you five million if you stay another year. You know, let's do better than we did this year. We can win it. Do it, Caleb, or whoever. Pick your university, pick your quarterback. But they could do that. They're not going to do that for everybody, but the key players will will basically a built-in insurance policy will fund your will will make you rich if you stay another year. Some of them will do it. Oh, 100%. and it becomes more and, of I, a have or have not thing. Yeah, and you'll see these booster co-ops, booster clubs, whatever. The, you know, booster nonprofits, um, you'll start to see a strategy change to maintaining teams as much as getting that, you know, 18 year old recruit. You'll start to see it'll be more like team building. You know, it'll look it'll it, it, in another way. It'll look more like the NFL. Yeah, it is professional football at this point. Yeah. Plus no the question. And I think, you know, I think we've said this before, but I think coupled with the with the transfer portal is just I mean, th- you know, that is. That is unfettered free agency like most NFL players don't have. Well, that's what really got me about it. That's what really turned me off because the NCAA had to do the NIL thing. I mean, the state of California legislature forces on them. They were the first ones to to pass the uh, – the well, California passed – we've talked about this on the show before, but California passed a law signed by uh, you know Dr. Hansom up there, the governor, that said um, that – college athletes can sign can can make money outside of the university and so once that happened a lot of states tend to follow california's league because it's so big and then the ncaa was stuck and they you know because you can't have some universities being able to do it some not so that's when the ncaa passed the rule that said in a single but what killed me is what you just said at the very same time they got rid of the transfer portal meaning that well they changed the transfer part a couple years ago. You had to sit out a year. Now you don't have to sit out a year anymore. So you could literally have agents trolling college resident college universities and at any time have them instantly transfer. And so they've, they didn't have to do that part. They could have kept the transfer portal in place and at least held a modicum of amateurism to this a little bit. And And they chose to do both, which caused this like, you know, a nuclear fission bomb of of money going through the NCAA, and that is their fault. Yeah, I'd even add in the the added uh, COVID year eligibility as a part of the yeah. perfect storm. Um, that one was obviously a little bit more like you know can't be planned for necessarily, but you know when you expand these, and this isn't just for college football or basketball either. When you expand the athletic eligibility, it also meant like okay, your ability to like use that transfer portal for longer times. I mean, what's that University of Washington quarterback that's projected like a first oh, yeah. or second rounder? He's like on his sixth or seventh year of playing college football. Yeah, he's going to use up every single second of his eligibility. <laughs> right, and if he can get through it without injury, which is obviously a giant roll of the dice, it probably benefits him greatly in the NFL. Uh, for quarterbacks, yeah. If you're a running yeah. back. No. Yeah, I'm speaking specifically of quarterbacks. Yeah. So I don't like um, it, but we're now nowhere. This is just the tip of the iceberg, as you said. Yeah, just I, we didn't plan to talk about this, and we won't talk about it long uh, for much, and we're about to get out of here. But, man, RIP Pac-12, Pac you know, you know like the greatest <laughs> year ever. You know, if they were negotiating a TV deal now, they, they'd, they'd have people lining up. And, you know, talk, that there is a a – business a graduate business case study on how to do that wrong yeah well we did a story on this a couple like a couple months ago didn't we um, yeah we, we talked about it the, the whole time but just to have your magical season one year too late <laughs> exactly and because after what this year or is it next year there's only two teams left is it washington yeah, no. and oregon state or something i forget which it is 
then they'll be but, out. You know, they're. I'm sure they're negotiating their exit now. Well, yeah, or, or there bringing is a bunch no, of new schools in, whatever. But there is no conference. It is. Yeah. It is going to be gone. They killed themselves. <laughs> Crazy. Uh, all right, Steve. So uh, I'm sure on the hog side, you're already deep into uh, off-season analysis, which is the only thing any self-respecting uh, Washington fan follower can be engaging themselves with at this time. Yeah, there's only so many game reviews we can do at this point that you know it's this is why we went to one show a week which is now only a release on thursdays because at some point halfway through the season every year we all question why we're doing game wrap-ups for games that don't matter and that is where we are now so yes we're into off-season analysis you can check that on the hogsty uh podcast and then all of our regular written content there you go so uh their busy season will start on black monday i'm gonna take the hogsty money and go buy a condo <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to go uh we're going to go exploit some virtual credit cards. See you in a few weeks. <laughs>